Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back to Murder and Mimosas. I'm Danica. And I'm Shannon. Today we are going to discuss Jamie Kloss and her 88 days of captivity in 2018. First, let's talk about Jamie herself and her family real quick. So Jamie was born July 13th, 2005 just a few days before my birthday. That is true. And she was the only child of James and Denise Kloss. Of course, in 2018, Jamie was fresh into being a teenager. She lived with her parents in Barron, Wisconsin, just barely 13. Jamie and her parents seemed to have a fairly normal life because, you know, what is normal? The parents were described as being religious, but not overly so. They were giving. People said that Denise was rather shy, and her daughter shared that trait. Jamie tended to be a little bit shy as well. Jamie would ride the bus from school to their family home. It was an older home, but it seemed spacious with plenty of yard space. A little picnic table that sat out in the front. The home backed lots of large and gorgeous trees. And Jamie herself seemed to be your typical teenage girl. She played soccer played with the family dog, watched TV. Her favorite actors were the stars in The Kissing Booth, which had been recently released in 2018. She really does sound like your typical teenage girl. Yeah. She was a good student, no trouble. Neither she nor her parents, though, would ever be prepared for the terror that was in store for them on October 15th, 2018. Around 1 a.m. on October 15th, the family dog would begin barking and woke Jamie. She started to look around for what was causing the dog to bark. She glanced out the window and saw that someone was walking up the family's driveway toward the front door. Can't be a good sign at 1 a.m. That's true. Her father met the man at the door, and when Jamie and her mother saw he had a gun, they went and hid in the bathtub. The two hiding heard a single gunshot ring out, and Denise began to call 911. While on the phone, a struggle ensued between Denise and the attacker, so the 911 operator could only hear a bunch of indistinct yelling before the phone hung up. Of course, to be safe, they dispatched police to the home to investigate. Sadly, when police arrived, Denise Kloss, 46, and James Kloss, 56, were both found dead in the home. What about Jamie? Was she still alive? The police were not sure because Jamie was not in the home when they arrived. They pretty much right away took her off the list of suspects in her parents' death. Instead, they highly suspected that she had been kidnapped and was in danger. They were right. An Amber Alert went out quickly, notifying citizens that Jamie was missing and possibly in, in danger. With no idea of who she might be with, all they could really include was that Jamie was roughly 5 feet tall, 110 pounds, with blonde hair and hazel eyes. As the first few months passed with no Jamie, 
The small town held out hope, using social media to circulate her photo and keep her fresh in everyone's mind. Barron County Sheriff all but begged for tips on Jamie's whereabouts. A reward for $50,000 was put up for information. A contestant on The Voice even dedicated a song to Jamie, letting the nation know there was still a missing young girl that needed help. However, on January 10th, 2019, fresh into the new year, around 4 p.m., a 911 call would bring joy to many people who had been waiting with bated breath for the safe return of Jamie Kloss. We're going to listen to part of that 911 call now. Hi, I have um, a young lady at my house right now, and she just says her name is Jamie Clark. Okay, what's your address? It's in Gordon, Wisconsin. Okay, have you seen her photo, ma'am? Yes, it is her. I 100% think it is her. Are you? Okay. 100%. Does it look like she's going to run? No, she's sitting down. She's relaxing. Okay, hang on just a second. What's your name? What's your name, ma'am? Kristen, because it's Jim. Kristen, how do you spell your last name? K-A-S-I-N-S-K-A-S. Okay, did she show up walking? Yeah, a neighbor just walked up with her to her house and asked us to call 911. Okay, hang on just a second. The full call is almost 30 minutes long. The link to the full call will be in our show notes. So Deputy Carrie and Deputy Dit Brinder. What? I think that's how you say it. <laughs> that's how it's spelled. Dit Brinder. Okay. <clears throat> I may be saying it wrong, and if so, I'm sorry, Deputy. Anyway, uh, these two deputies were dispatched to the location of the call, which was, like you heard on the clip, Gordon, Wisconsin. When they arrived, they spoke with Jamie, and she told them about the man who kept her captive. Jake Patterson. She was a brave girl to go through what she went through. Oh, just listen. She's, she seems even braver. Um, so she was held by Patterson for 88 days. 88 days of pure hell for this girl, I'm sure. Especially after seeing her parents killed by this man. Do we know what happened during those 88 days? Yeah, to some degree. Uh, so let's go back to the night that Jamie was taken after both her parents had been ruthlessly shot. Patterson dragged Jamie away, taped her ankles together, and also her hands together behind her back. Just before the police arrived at the home, Patterson put Jamie in the trunk of his older red car. To make this worse, she told police later that she could hear the sirens of the police while she was in the back of the car. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I cannot imagine feeling like you're about to be saved just to realize that the police are too little too late to save you. I know. I mean, that's just awful. So to make matters worse, she was in the trunk for what she estimated to be around two hours. When they arrived at the home that Patterson told Jamie was his, he took her inside, removed all the tape when they got in the hallway. He then ordered Jamie to strip off all her clothing. She did as she was told, and Patterson put all of her clothes in the bag. Jamie remembered something vague Patterson said about not wanting to have evidence, but she never saw what Patterson did with her clothes. Each night, for the next almost three months, Patterson slept in bed with Jamie, 
but claimed he felt too guilty about murdering her parents that he could not bring himself to have sex with her. Thank God for that small sliver or silver lining because she's just a child who's already been through so much anguish. I mean, what did he do with her during all this time? We know some things from both Patterson's and Jamie's experience during those 88 days. Patterson was, of course, much more vague with what his accounts of events were. He talked about playing board games with her and especially chess and kept repeating how basically how he was repressing his sexual urges like he should get a cookie for that one. Wow. He did reveal that on his way to his job at a cheese factory, which he only had for two days. Uh, Not that that's relevant, but it it is what it is. He was stopped by a school bus where he saw Jamie get on the bus. He decided then that he was going to take her. He didn't know her or her family. But before putting this into action, Patterson went to the good old Walmart and bought a black ski mask to conceal his face. And that way, you know, his face is covered when he decides to put his plan into action. So he has a plan of action to kidnap her? Not a clear one, no. Um, He said he drove by the home twice before the event of him actually taking her took place with the intent to kidnap her. First time he went to the home, he saw lots of cars and it scared him off. The second time he went to the home a few days later and the lights were on and people were walking around and again, it scared him off. However, on October 15th, he had a much clearer plan in his head. He stole a license plate from another car and put them on his older red Ford Taurus. Then before going to the class home, he took his father's shotgun. He disconnected the dome light in his car. He removed the trunk light and the quote kidnapping cord from in the trunk, which is supposed to be the one that you pulled open yeah. the trunk. If you get kidnapped, that thing, he said he researched the guns, uh, researched a bunch of guns and he picked the shotgun because it was a heavily manufactured, so he felt like it wouldn't be easy to trace. And B, that was it. That was the only reason. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, so just just because of that, and I guess because his dad had one, is B. Anyway, uh, he then wore gloves while he cleaned the shotgun and while he loaded the six rounds into the gun. Before heading to the home, he shaved his beard and his hair. Of it proceeded to shower. It seems like he's watched a ton of crime shows and knows how not to leave any DNA of any kind. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. So he wore steel toe brown boots, blue jeans, a black jacket, a ski mask, and two pairs of gloves. When he got close to the Kloss home, he turned off the headlights and essentially like coasted into the driveway to make as little noise and bring as little attention to himself as possible. 
Along with the gun, Patterson also brought a flashlight and a kitchen knife. We know what happened after he entered the home, and he was actually only in there for about four minutes. He killed this girl's parents in four minutes and took her. Once Patterson got to his home, he removed Jamie from the trunk, cut off the tape, like she said. He said that she was crying. Of course. Yeah. And she had urinated on herself. Oh, poor thing. Both of these are pretty common reactions to trauma, especially in a little girl. He then had her stripped down, which I'm sure was even more traumatic, and gave her some of his little sister's pajamas to put on. Hang on. This man who has kidnapped a young girl for his sexual desires has a little sister? Yeah. I don't know how old his little sister was during this time, but still, how can you do this at all and not just, like, imagine your little sister or any little girl? Some of the accounts from what we have heard are either the same or pretty similar. Let's talk more about Jamie's accounts where she goes much more in depth. And of course, hers are fueled by a lot more fear and trauma about the days that she was kept at Patterson's home. Jamie was kept under Patterson's bed, which was a small twin bed that was roughly two feet off the ground. Okay. We're not talking about a lot of room here. This grown man also has a twin bed. Yeah. Okay. Patterson had it set up against the wall and for 88 days under this bed was pretty much Jamie's home. When Patterson left the home or people were in the home, Jamie was forced under the bed. Patterson would then put totes around the bed with weights in front of them or like in them to make it harder for Jamie to get out. Also, so he could tell if she tried to get out. He could see if they'd been moved. Patterson would punch the wall and scream that bad things would happen to Jamie if he thought she tried to get out from the hiding spot under the bed. Jamie said that when people would come over to the home, Patterson would turn on the radio so they couldn't hear her, essentially. It'd be common for Jamie to spend 12 or more hours under the bed with no food, no water, and no trips to the bathroom. Oh my gosh, that poor girl. I just can't, I can't imagine. She recounted in one of her statements an an instance when she had upset Patterson, though she couldn't recall what she had done that upset him, that he hit her really hard on the back with the handle of something. From what I could tell, that was the only time that he was ever physically abusive to her. But, I mean, all of this is extremely mentally, psychologically, and emotionally abusive. Yeah, she's going to need... Need... Therapy. Lots of therapy. Forever. Yeah. So needless to say that these 88 days in captivity were horrendous for this young girl. Let's talk about January 10th. Okay, we read, we heard the Dadwood Wood call, right? Mm -hmm. Which, if you think about it now, I didn't think about it to just this minute. This girl had Thanksgiving and Christmas. She's been trapped under this psychopath's bed while her family is... Hoping to God she comes home. That is true. It's awful. And I'm not even sure at that point if they were hoping to God she'd come home. That is true. Because, I mean, after that many It's almost three months. I'm sure the police were like, "Mm, we're looking for her, but we're probably looking for a body. Yeah. I would definitely think that. Yeah. So let's talk about January 10th a little bit more. Really, we're going to talk about the just 
fearlessness. I can't think of a better word that, that Jamie showed in saving herself from this man. So on this day, Patterson told Jamie he'd be gone for like four or five hours. Per usual, Patterson demanded Jamie go back under the bed. She does. But Jamie, being shrewd in her thinking, realized like this is her time to escape. She's got four or five hours. I don't know if he normally told her how long she'd be, he'd be gone, but he did this time. So, you know, he leaves. She pushed the bins and the weight out of her way. She grabs a pair of Patterson shoes and pushes them on. And she, I mean, hightails it out of the dreadful place that she's been held for almost three months. And the first person that Jamie encountered after her escape was Jean Nutter, who was out walking her dog. Jamie told Jeanne who she was and that she just escaped the home of Patterson. And Jeanne took her to the closest home. And that was the Kasinski. You heard their name on the Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Starts with a K. (laughs) Which is where the 911 call we listened to earlier was made. Was from their home. Jeanne also described Jamie's physical condition when, you know, Jamie had come up to her saying that Jamie looked both shocked and tired. Which makes sense. Messy clothes. Matted hair. And she was wearing men's shoes that Jamie was struggling to walk in because they were too big. She also noted that Jamie was not dressed for the weather. I mean, it's Wisconsin in January. Yeah, that's cold. Um, She had no coat, gloves, you know, nothing like that. Gianna also told police that she did not know Patterson, but that she had seen the name on a mailbox of a cabin that was like two mailboxes down from her own. And did the Kaczynskis get the $50,000 reward? Or, Or... However you say their name. The people that called 911. Yes. Uh, No. No, they did not. um, Because they turned it down. Oh, my gosh. And said that the reward should go to Jamie because she saved herself. Um, Honestly, that's true. I mean, she really did save herself. Yeah. Many people on Twitter jumped in agreement with the Kaczynskis that the money should go to Jamie. I think that since the Kaczynskis turned down the money, even though they were a huge help to Jamie, that it should go to her. I mean, you could tell in the 911 call how she was really She's worried about very Jamie. nurturing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are you cold? Do you need a yeah. blanket? Are you thirsty? Do you need water? I mean, like they it wasn't just yeah. like they were worried about Jamie. Yeah. And they want to make sure yeah. she's okay. So I agree. I'm curious with the reward that big, if if any time um someone called in a tip about Patterson though. Yeah, so I couldn't find if they did. So it's not not done my knowledge, but it does not seem like people were really surprised by the perp being Patterson. Um, a few classmates came forward that Patterson attended high school with, and they spoke to the press. They said that he was a withdrawn loner in school. One was quoted as saying, quote, he just ignored everyone and everyone just ignored him, end quote. Um, digging into the yearbook, the only thing he noted to be a part of was the quiz ball team, and his senior quote said, quote, I'm finally done with school, end quote. So, you know, he was really big into academics, clearly. Yeah. Um, I know he went into the Marines or went into the boot camp for Marines after high school, but he was sent home after just five weeks. I couldn't figure out why that was. Um. I don't know if he just like physically couldn't keep up or psychologically there was something. I don't know. Who knows? Um, 
Neighbor said that he would jump from job to job, which we did talk about. He worked at the cheese factory for a whole whopping two days. Um, yeah, clearly Patterson was arrested for killing Jamie's parents and kidnapping her. I'm not shocked by that. He pleads guilty from the start. His defense attorney tells him that they can petition for a venue change, um, which if you don't know what that is, like especially in small towns when it has a lot of press coverage, they try to get the case to be tried in a court that's in another county, um, usually a bigger one, so that people know less about it. And they also said that they could fight to have certain things be suppressed. Um, but Patterson said he wanted to plead guilty to spare Jamie the ordeal of a trial. I guess that was so nice of him. What did he get sentenced uh, for when he pleaded guilty? Well, you know, sometimes when people plead, it's to get a deal, right? Um, Patterson didn't get one, though. He was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility per- for parole. And um, just for fun, they just like um, good measure, an extra 40 years after that. So um, he's getting out in 2000, never. <laughs> um, Mid-2019, the home Jamie grew up in with her parents and the home that Patterson killed them in was torn down. Which I can't decide if that's like, if I was in her shoes, that that would be really crappy or that would somehow make me feel better. I don't know, because you have a lot of memories in that home and... Uh, but you have bad memories, too. So, I, I mean, know. I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, they, they, um, the estate had spoken with the family. I don't know if they talked to Jamie and they made this decision, but the family wasn't in on it. They didn't just tear it down for fun. Um, in 2021, fun COVID times, Jamie's aunt and the guardian where Jamie now lives said that Jamie's doing well, considering She's, you know, taking it day by day. She's enjoying school and dancing as much as she can with the COVID restrictions in place. Um, You know, the story doesn't have a perfectly happy ending, but I'm glad that it wasn't much worse than how it ended up. That is true. Was there any other things that would reveal this about, I mean, I know that they talked about what he was like in school, but did he have any other convictions or anything that? Not that I could find. Um, but it seemed like he was just kind of a, for back up, lack of a better word, was just kind of a loser. And he couldn't get his life together. And the way that this plays out to me really seems like those people who have created a fictional relationship in their head. The only reason I say that is because the way he treats her after he has her, like he is trying to impress her by doing a normal human nice thing, like not sexually abusing her, not making her go to trial. But then the other part of me says maybe he did feel guilt, right, for killing her parents, though he seemed to have no guilt or mercy for human life in the moment. She was there for 88 days. You know, eventually that guilt's going to run away, run out, right? Yeah. Eventually he's not going to feel as guilty. Yeah. And he's going to give in. I'm so glad that she got out before that guilt came away, like went away. That is true. I just, 
That's just amazing. I'm glad that she did get out. I'm glad that he did have some guilt and didn't, I mean, I know she's really going to be traumatized by this anyway, but yeah, but adding maybe in, not quite as traumatized as she could have been. Yeah. I mean, he definitely took her innocence. No, I mean, he took her innocence. He took her childhood, right? You have to grow up really quick after that. But she still has that one piece of hers that's hers. You know, he didn't get to take that. That's true. Um, and she didn't have to endure that. I'm sure she still has, you know, nightmares and survivor's guilt over her parents. Can you imagine that, though? No. Because I know if I were in her shoes, I would feel awful. Like, my parents were killed because this person wanted me. Like, I am that reason. You know she has to feel that guilt. It's not her guilt to feel. I'm not saying she no. should. And then she's still, I mean, she's a teenage girl going through adolescence. And he's making her strip down. And, I mean. When she's clearly already terrified. I mean. She's urinating on herself and she's crying. I mean, I just, I don't know. And also, how do you have people over? I was thinking that too earlier. Like, no. I mean, and he sounds like such a loner. Like, who's even coming over? My, well, that's when I was thinking maybe family, maybe on these holidays. That could be true, but I don't feel like he would have people over there. I mean, you've got a girl under your bed. I mean, surely you're like, hey, can we do Christmas at your house this year? Well, the thing is, he told her it's his house, but I don't know how true that is. He's a grown man with a twin bed in a room. That's true. So, and I couldn't find for sure if he lived alone. I mean, he had his sister's pajamas just there. I don't know. That I mean, he doesn't have... Good work history. So how's he paying the bills? So yeah. he could be living with mom and dad. Who knows? And sister. And sister. Ugh. Well, I don't know. So um, this was, we don't get a lot of like somewhat happy endings very often. So this is our somewhat happy ending. Welcome to True Crime, where the endings are rarely happy. So, but Jamie lived. There's a small silver lining in there. Um, and Patterson is in jail forever. So that's nice. Yay. And if you enjoyed this story, can you enjoy? I mean, I enjoyed your crime. I don't know what else to say. If you found this interesting, there you go. That sounds a little less weird. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. You don't have to get that one. Okay. But obviously you enjoyed your crime or you wouldn't be here. Right, there is that. Um, so TikTok, we're at murder.mimosas. Instagram, murder.mimosas. Twitter, guess what? Murder.mimosas. <laughs> if you'd like to email us a case, murder.mimosas at gmail.com. If you'd like uh, to find us on Facebook, we're at Murder and Mimosas Podcast. Ha! You <laughs> thought I was going to say murder.mimosas. Tricked ya. No, we're at Murder and Mimosas Podcast on Facebook, but only there. Everywhere else, murder.mimosas. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, email, if you would like to talk to us. Or not. It's cool. Um, we would absolutely, positively love for you to leave us a review. 
We are only accepting five stars at this time. So just keep that in mind and give us five stars. KK, we love you. Have a mama on us. Bye. Bye.